All of our files are free and will remain free. If you like the show, you can show support by donating $1 to help with expenses. Just use the pay link on our webpage. Thanks. And welcome back to part two of this roller coaster of an uh, evaluation we have today with none other than real boots on the ground investigative journalist Johnny Widmore. And um, so yeah, we'll we'll pick up where we where we left it off. But I have okay. to say that um, you know oh, people will love this show because this is exactly the type of info you know yeah. to have guests who are such. Uh, so knowledgeable and can just off the cuff, uh, doesn't have to even consult papers, anything, just bam, go. It's wonderful. I love it. And I love it when uh, when it's hard for me to get a word in <laughs> because it means the guest is on top of his game. Now, um, we were having like a little history kind of, we'd be doing this sequentially, which is good chronologically. We've cool. we've started with his background and we moved up in the timeline. And now we're at the, you know, we're at the era when the Intel state, the international Intel state takes over, basically. Yes, it and, has. Um, yeah. Do you remember where to pick up? Yeah, for sure. I mean, when you say that there, it makes I'm I'm writing a series where I'm about five articles in at the moment, and it goes from 1955 or 54, uh, really up to so far up until about 1963. Mm. And it follows uh, it follows a load of things that happened in Britain at the start of this where intelligence took over from the gangs. So the streets uh, where you used to find all the information, if you needed to go and get information back in uh, the those days, you would have to go to the nightclubs, hang around in the right. fancy places, talk to the right people, meet the right people. And those places didn't really exist um, in on their own uh, at that point. That's the whole noir genre. Yeah, yeah, and I've started to uh, I I I've picked up a series of what I saw as murders that were covered up by the state, right? Um, in Britain, uh, and I started following them, and it led me to this uh, to see this uh, e epochal shift, you know, this era change where from about 1955 to 1960 in Britain, and I know this is roughly the same in um most. Of the american cities as well the gangs were the ones who were in charge yeah, yeah. who were really in charge and then after 1960 and just beyond it starts to get mixed and murky it starts to be that the intelligence agents are working with the gangs because they're the ones who can get things done or with the mafia which, which yeah, is yeah, a, yeah. Yeah, american equivalent and then about five to seven years later you start to see that the intelligence uh community has completely Completely and the deep state has completely destroyed a lot of the infrastructure of the gangs, and they are the gang now. They're the only gang. Yeah, they were assimilated. Yeah, and the same is true for the Nazis, by the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of, of course, they never they never went away anywhere. I mean, it's an idea, it's an ideology. You can't bomb that to smithereens. But uh, it's the same that even Israel, who had a, a, a 
you know, a genuine agenda against the Nazis, made peace with the Nazis I know. Uh, at some point. The last guy they took, which was uh, a bone thrown to them, a symbolic bone, was uh, Adolf Eichmann. But even uh, this Nazi hunter, Simon Wiesenthal, was complaining about that now. You know, they had st- he, he had to continue privately because there was no mm-hmm. support anymore. So it seems that everybody is coagulating into one big power network. And, you know, the conspiracy theorists in the old sense of the world, those who are uh, not, they're not conspiracy analysts <laughs> like you, mm-hmm. uh, they uh, tend to look at always oh, one power group in, in, in it's the Illuminati, it's the Jews, it's uh, whatever, right? But in actual fact, in my view on it, is more like it's like the old mafia structure. There's, there's several families. They have infighting. Mm-hmm. They, they're trying to come on top of the pile. But when they have an exterior enemy, let's say FBI wants to smack them down or something, or, or, or a foreign, uh, another mafia from uh, another uh, tradition or country then they band together and cooperate and that's very much also even even the intel agencies have behaved like that yeah 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 i mean the the gangland comparison and gang warfare is exactly it's the best it's the best uh way to describe it to people because mm. it really it, the only way to get the dirty work done to do the dirty really dirty horrible stuff is to become without ethics without morals and willing yeah. to do whatever someone pushes you to do and it's the same people who would join the mafia would join intelligence agencies i mean the intelligence agencies probably at one point were just recruiting all of the mafioso yeah, yeah. and i've seen this happen through some of my my like some of my investigations i've seen uh co-opting people and it's it's not a surprise it's just a new employer comes along he's offering you the same stick and it's going to lead to eventually the state being in charge the state being in charge because the intelligence apparatus is owned by the state so who's the godfather in that right. Uh, scenario is the people who are at the heads of all the countries. Yeah, it's the old principle. If you can't beat them, join them. Yeah, yeah, and uh, you can't. A lot of these uh, that that is really the principle of good and evil, though, isn't it? And that's what I think it all comes down to. Is that I'm not a religious guy. I, I, you know, I, I'm not someone who who necessarily always believed this theory but my, my my theory is that there's good people that mostly do good things and evil people who will do anything for whatever um and while we try and like mask them in different things that happen in culture mm-hmm. those trends they change like the wind and a hundred years later they're completely different and we look back on them and we say it's like it's like a, if we say now oh uh i forgive the french for napoleon you know <laughs> th- th- this it's all well and good we don't even feel it we don't even feel yeah. it it's all a very distant idea it's not even a real thing we could really forgive that can we really forgive once uh our grandfathers uh, uh, uh passed and we're the grandfathers and we didn't live anywhere near world war Two, but we saw it all on the the tv can we claim to be children of it you know is that our main influence is that what spurs us on well it's what we were told at the time 
Yeah, but but let me shoot in there that uh, two things. Number one, the good evil thing, I agree. But the thing is, it's not 50-50. It's more like 90-10. The only thing is that good people are not desiring power because power is their religion. That's their whole, that's filling their inner vacuum. Mm -hmm. That's number one. Number two, this is exactly what you're saying is exactly the reason why they always turn to these, well, we'll release the files after a generation. Yeah. Uh, the Pfizer files, oh, we need a generation. The JFK files, oh, we need a generation. Even even um, poor Seth Rich's laptop, oh, we need 66 years. The reason is precisely because they, by experience, have learned that if we push it, and a UFO thing, yeah. it's been 70 years and now it's clean. It's because they need at least one generation to make it become uh, anecdotal, to be academic. Mm-hmm. It's just something we read about, like you say. Right? Yeah. So that's how they can go free because everybody's died out. And of course, we don't believe it's like this today. This was only in the past. And, that, and that's the same old story being repeated. Yeah, the the only in the past. And yeah. this is where, this is where I, 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 I mean, there's, you can prove that's not so um, in there. Well, the past has always been what we're living through now. We just looks a little bit different and smells a little bit different. But if you were there in the past, you would know it as the present. And it would just be you trying to wake up every day and get by and do all of these different things. We've got different tools to deal with all of this stuff. We've got more technology around. Mm. And this is one of the things. They're expecting even more technology and for us to live longer. So the future, is 75 years going to be enough? Because they want the future they want to create. Everybody will know about their dirty work much further on down the line. No. No, because because we are not going to live that long. It's just for them. Yeah. Didn't you see that uh, the guy behind, um, what's this billionaire called? He's from South Africa originally. Not Elon Musk, the other one. Um, oh, Peter Thiel? Yeah, Peter no. Thiel uh, bought up. Yeah, right. You know, they had a breakthrough in the univer- open research, public research in the University of, mm-hmm. was it California? It was over there somewhere where they yeah, yeah, yeah. managed to stop the aging of uh, mm. humanized mice uh, or rodents the humanized meaning they have uh, human genetics and now they can stop it and this was oh you know the naive idiots say oh this is going to be a breakthrough oh we, we, we. no of course we won't see that it was swapped up by peter Thiel. so yes the elites unless uh, they get run over by a bus mm. will they won't age, is what I'm saying. I'm not saying they get, become immortal because anything can happen, but at least they won't age. Uh, the future elites, well, it, but not us. They're lo- they're, they're looking to at the old, same old chestnut, as we say, the same old story all throughout history. Immortal immortality. We're going to we're going to live forever, yeah. and this is what um this is what was seen in the time machine as well with like uh the people who lived uh, below ground and the people who were really right. uh, amazingly uh, uh oh the people who lived who was, were all kind of like an orc and the people who were really <laughs> yes. high intelligent and psychic and transhuman yeah. and that's what the 
portrait uh, of what they were painting a hundred years ago looked like. That's what these elites were painting. And to get there, they need to take charge of everything uh, so they can be the ones in that position later on. And they're, they're still looking like that's what they're going towards. So obviously, history, where you are presently and in the past, it doesn't really matter. You, you've got the same people doing malevolent things because they want to be on the top of the pile when the next bit comes. Mm. And they believe if it's in their generation. I mean, Klaus Schwab, he's, he's what, like 86 or something now. He's wow. quite sprightly for, for that age. I mean, he's looking mm. pretty good. Mm. And uh, Kissinger, not so much. Kissinger looks, I mean, he gets shorter and his wife gets taller. No, but he's he's a relic too. How old is Kissinger now again? Um, Again, about in his 90s. He's got to be 98 or something like that, I would think. I can't, but I, can't... I, don't, I don't think Bush Senior drank too much of this uh, uh, adrenochrome thing. <laughs> I, I... <laughs> but he was a wreck when he died. <laughs> yeah 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 i well the, the, i i don't know i don't know about all of their technologies but I, you could be assured that they're testing those technologies out on someone yeah. on someone it, to go back to yeah go back to the 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 story of the rise of of klaus schwab kissinger is a good place to to return to and segue off into because of course i was talking uh about uh, Kissinger's International Seminar in Part 1, how it was there to kind of train young global leaders in different areas. Um, and by the time that Klaus Schwab got there in 1965, he managed to be able to uh, make a lot of friends. And the, the, Kissinger had been doing a lot during this time. The, the, like, like I said, the limited warfare, they'd got to the point where they had decided that the best type of warfare is perpetual war that is never won because war is all about fear and if you can scare people you can make them do whatever you want and you can make them agree to anything and the more scared they are the more likely they're going to do whatever you want mm. so Kissinger knew this very well and so did some other people um, in 1961 four years after uh, Kissinger had created his masterpiece on um, about thermonuclear war uh, a, a great thinker called Herman Kahn and I got to call him a great thinker he's uh, he was a bit of a mastermind um, but he very dystopian during this era uh, he created on thermonuclear war and Herman Kahn would eventually be uh, known as the real Dr. Strangelove in many places, though that's argued it's backwards and forwards. Even he himself said he spoke to Stanley Kubrick and Stanley Kubrick promised him that Dr. Strangelove wasn't uh, based on him. But personally, I believe it was based on Fritz Kramer, Herman Kahn, um, Kissinger himself, other people. I think there was there was like a load of, of different sort of characters Characters that were present within that debate being thrown in by Kubrick in uh, Dr. Strangelove uh, character. But if you actually read some of the quotes Herman Kahn said, you can see he was completely and utterly like he, he would have lots of people would have just seen him as as like a, more of a fictional figure that was living in the real world. You know, he he, he would embellish everything he, he did. And he was working at the Hudson Institute, ah. kind of associated with uh, Rand Corporation mm. uh, a lot throughout his career. And they were gaming out using game theory and modeling 
really uh, sophisticated uh, modeling to discover what the future lay. Uh, first of all, they were tasked with uh, nuclear war and they were gave out. So they've obviously had had uh, significant communication uh, with Kissinger already, uh, but eventually um, the Kissinger and Khan would obviously know each other because it would be Kissinger would give Herman Khan and John Kenneth Galbraith to Klaus Schwab to go back and create the World Economic Forum, which I'll talk about later. Mm. So Herman Khan is extremely important in this person in this story. He was a very um, interesting and influential figure. He was very important. And his book on thermonuclear war really was the first time where they could start saying to the children you don't need to duck and cover anymore there's not going to be nuclear war big nuclear war around the corner it's probably going to be much more likely that that we uh we 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 have like this constant um dynamic political dynamic which shows that mutually assured destruction protects everybody and means nobody actually uh presses the down on that trigger so herman khan and henry kissinger were the key people in the nuclear debate they were really but, but they seem to have left that to philosophy now yeah yeah i know i but that's because on top of it that limited war was the only way to keep people in power it was all pervasive so and 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 you can only do limited war for a certain amount of time i did a um i've done a a, a few pieces uh on um a little thing i'm doing called news Ham, where i go back and look at newspaper articles from the past and i had a look at uh one that was uh about kissinger's um uh, 50th birthday party which happened just after watergate and nearly all of the people who showed up had been had their wire had their phones tapped and were had been had just discovered that henry kissinger had ordered their their, their all of their conversations to be listened to and they still turned up to his party um <laughs> but but they it within this there was a i looked at a couple of articles which talked about limited war and what they wanted to do at this stage they were saying well we know there's not going to be big war but the soviets don't know that so we got to tell them out loud what we want and what we want is limited nuclear war, kind of nuclear war, one where smaller bombs and it's more targeted. And if the Soviets could do that, then we might be like working on the same basis again. And they were saying this out loud. Yeah, that's in vogue now too. Yeah, and it's it's saying, yeah they're saying it aloud today too. It's, yeah. So I, well, when I was, I had spent a year researching this. Uh, second piece about Harvard and um, about Herman Kahn and about John Kenneth Galbraith and it was never ending you know it was a never ending search for for what uh, for, for 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 how to like model the article so that people can understand and all the most important information is there and you can see how it works towards that but it's pretty easy to do so these these what I what I discovered is when I was just finishing the article and I was in the final stages, I, I was thinking about it loads and I was walking around this park uh, with my dog and I was thinking really hard, what what should I do? What How should I phrase this? And I had just watched a video. It was January, maybe the 5th or the 6th, and I just watched a video online 
and people were talking exactly like the era I had just been researching. They were talking like they were back in the fifties. Yeah. They were talking like they like nuclear war was just around the corner again, and it was all gonna. And I couldn't understand it. I I just I kept walking around thinking. And you have this famous New York ad that came out, which is even worse than the duck and cover thing. Yeah. Oh. Two- your radio and stay in the center of the house and they're really treating us like we are complete morons and well it seems to work with a lot of people because Mm. a lot of these people act exactly the same way as they did in the 50s but it's only in the 50s they they kept that going for 10 years yeah. And they had to produce loads of movies and other thing afterwards to make people not so scared because it's still up until the 80s people were were scared, terrified to an extent about nuclear war in some places. Yeah. Um, so the fear was always there, but they they that fear is what keeps everybody in line. Perpetual war allows them to move that fear around the place and and heighten it. But every now and again, they need another event here and another event there, and they started to work this out at that point in history. In the in the late sixties, uh, in the early sixties, they had they had gained out nearly all of the different strategies of warfare um from east versus west these two sides these two main blocks mm. the people in the middle were these europeans who were quite simply terrified that both sides could do anything at any time mm. you know they they were stuck in the middle yeah europeans had more genuine independence back in the day yeah there, there was lots of connections between um germany itself and harvard as well through through all of this period i i'm mm. writing an article now which which will uh, um a- examine that to some sort of extent is that true for yale also yeah, well, very much so. Yale, Princeton, uh, MIT, and Harvard are the main places. I'm, I'm thinking skull and bones. Y- 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 from Germany. Uh, y- Yale is unbelievable. If you for I don't know if they're linked with Germany, but it's unbelievable for um, starting off setting narratives and um, well, well, the, the and, first uh, skull and bones uh, lodge or whatever. Of course, it's a frat club exploited by Intel to uh, get blackmail. Like, files on their members but mm-hmm. it originally comes from a, a german university according to research yeah, yeah. I've seen. Well, back in the 1800s there's a lot of, talking about. because there's a reason for this and yeah well mm. in in the, about 1869 the president of harvard was came out and said well we're gonna really put forward strong links towards germans now this is going to be right. a big focus so it was already already in that period where um there was there being a special relationship relationship you could say but this uh, also is in uh, historically allowed um harvard to be a launch pad for research for germany as well um so i think there's an element where a lot of international relations at that period were simply like in the 50s the german uh, chancellor phoning up someone like Henry Kissinger and or or aides to Henry Kissinger or people who were above him in the uh, who were actually in politics and saying, "Oh my God, we're, we're going to die at any time. What do you know about this?" And that basically was the communication all of the time. They would say, "Well, we know about this and we know about this," and they would give certain examples. Over time, mm. that dissipated, but they started to enact plans that would mean that they would be able to beat 
Soviet oppression eventually. There was a lot of things being gained. It's not only nuclear warfare. And I think by the late 60s, that's when you see uh, a real change. Now, like I I said in uh, the first part, 1967, uh, they have to release the international seminar as a CIA funded course. It's funded through a CIA conduit. They've got to admit this in 1967. So Henry Kissinger basically starts to go into politics around then and just like disappears from <laughs> from the whoop, let's just go over here and disappear for a little bit. Mm. And uh and and he eventually ends up in Nixon's cabinet and ends up then Secretary of State, which is quite a, a mean job for him to have. Yeah, but but he he he's very skilled because he was surrounded by a bunch of anti-Semites, but somehow they tolerated him. Yeah, they probably recognized his qualities. And it, I think, quite simply, is because he was member of the Council on Foreign Relations for a really long time. That he had uh, written the biggest dissertation in Harvard's history. Uh, that he had produced a book that nearly every single one of them had read about nuclear war at a time when they desperately wanted to know. And he was really the first to put such comprehensive and studied uh, approach up on his book. Mm. So it got a lot of. I, I mean, he he wrote a few books that pe- these elites really liked they were more written for the elites and for everybody else and for for, for high up academics um but they also recognized his ability for leadership i mean you all want to be they they, they expected him to take a, a more central lead and maybe it was things like watergate and stuff and uh vietnam war etc that stopped kissinger from doing having to run for president but i think he was always a uh, like the deep state sitting in the white house yeah, golden you know? boy yeah and he, he was close before close yeah, so so in 1967, 1968, I think in 1968 that he's touring, um, uh, doing uh, doing lectures uh, with John Kenneth Galbraith. John Kenneth Galbraith is a famed economist. He's a man who is uh, completely interesting to study, uh, yet completely boring to listen to. Um, he he had uh, married Unity Mitford, who had uh, no sorry, he had married his wife had lived with Unity. Mitford before the war, who was Hitler's girlfriend. He had uh, studied... Hitler's girlfriend? Yeah, he had studied under the Nazis. He was JFK's teacher in school. He became the ambassador to India under JFK. Um, He is six foot eight tall he was the one who at the end of world war ii they sent him across he said i'm going to do uh geographical studies of the land or whatever you know and to collect statistics and his first thing he did was go and interrogate albert spear the head of war <laughs> and armaments for the nazis just right. insane like this guy john kenneth galbraith he doesn't make any sense at all uh, he, he goes uh, all over to different places i mean you could possibly throw in anything and people people would believe it because he is literally he does everything every wow. uh, he's also he's also kind of at this point on the opposite side of the establishment the establishment's leaning very much over to the right and he's very left wing and vietnam war's really interesting he becomes central into the university protest the 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 uh, vietnam now 
protests or uh, stop Vietnam now and etc. Mm. He, he was very involved in all of that and brought Benazir Bhutto, who eventually becomes Prime Minister of Pakistan. Who, who they eventually killed after she exposed that yeah. Osama bin Laden was in dialysis and had uh, died many years ago. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's there's lots of reasons why they needed to kill Benazir yeah, Bhutto. Yeah. Lots of reasons. Uh, a lot of them are to do with nuclear bombs as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's so many reasons. She was she was really it, her father Zulfika Ali Bhutto. Uh, he was not yet uh, prime minister, and he had met um, John Kenneth Galbraith when they had visited uh, India in um where nancy kennedy i'm not sure if jfk himself had visited india but um uh, she she had met with uh john kenneth galbraith who was then ambassador to india and to kennedy um and then uh zufika ali bhutto had met and a young benazir bhutto had met met her and met john kenneth galbraith and soon uh that that meant that Zufika Ali Bhutto would, of course, call John Kenneth Galbraith when he was looking to put Benazir Bhutto in university and asked if he could be her mentor when she went to university at Harvard at the age of 16, two years mm-hmm. early. Um, and and uh, instead, his son, he put his son, I think it's Peter Galbraith, in charge of looking after Benazir Bhutto while she was on campus. Um, but he, you know, he was a very interesting, uh, John Kenneth Galbraith is very interesting character and he was also um uh, um at the i think it's the warhol school of economics he was he was wow. the head maybe of it during klaus schwab's time um warhol there's no war warburg warburg ah. uh, the warburg school of economics i can never remember it's called war. yeah that's that's an elite family i thought you meant warhol as in andy warhol yeah no 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 no, no. <laughs> he was uh, nothing to do with economics with andy, andy warhol <laughs> i don't think he probably could hold money very well no. um no, no, it's hard to remember all of these names. My my girlfriend's very good at remembering sure. every single yeah. name in uh, under the sun, but I'm not so good at that. But um, yeah, the Warburg, uh, uh, he was he was head of there at Harvard while um, uh, Clive Schwab was there, so they were both lecturers. Both him and Kissinger were lecturers at Harvard, and went on tours to, for this uh, Mandeville lectures, talking about uh, foreign policy and uh, and. Europe uh, and the, it was clear that that was what was on their mind and obviously they've recruited Klaus Schwab in 1967 and um, he, hang on and he was also the mentor of JFK you said mm, very much so because uh, he was a teacher he was a literal right. teacher of JFK and his brother Joseph Kennedy yeah let, let me add a, a funny anecdote to the benefit of the listeners um, and I just learned this okay first of all we know that Kennedy well he really replaced his older brother who was supposed to be the golden boy and then he died in a war and they had to re- uh, put in a JFK instead now he was the hard right you know the fa- wall street fascists uh, bordering on nazis man yeah but then he had this sudden turn of um, heart and um, he actually had two turns that is the first one but the second one was the last year and that's very interesting because i just learned this from um, um i think it's randall carlson who said that um, 
and he gives a source that um, the girl he was running around with was one of these uh, associates of Timothy Leary. And so he took lots of LSD trips with her that year. Mm. And that's the same year that he went completely rogue and should uh, dismantle CIA and cooperate with the Soviets, uh, both for the moon project and also to expose the UFO files they both had, etc. All these things has come out in the later years. Now we know why he got this certain turn of change, uh, because mm. you can't you can't be a power psychopath after you take in LSD. It's as easy as that. <laughs> I would hope I, I would hope that's true. I, I I've taken LSD on a few occasions, and I never I I never felt like taking over the world afterwards. I, <laughs> I, I, I felt like I would... except with your writings, but that's yeah, that's a lie. May, may, oh, maybe. <laughs> oh no, I'm wondering if you're talking about Mariella Novotny because because she was one of the the ladies Kennedy was also seeing. I mean, there's so much interest in years. Yeah. The last years of Kennedy uh, is uh, interesting interesting time and the people who were put around him placed around him carefully by really really sinister figures yeah uh, extremely interesting as well but fast forward to schwab because if we open the kennedy can of arms we'll never uh, gonna yeah finish okay this show. Yeah. so you got you got 1967 klaus schwab leaves uh harvard's henry's uh, kissinger's international seminar and he goes back to germany he gets a call from um uh a Peter Schmidt-Heine, who's the head of Escher Weiss and his father's old company. And um, it, it, uh, during his father's time, Jakob um, uh, Schmidt-Heine, the father of Peter Schmidt-Heine, was the boss of Escher Weiss. So they had had like this previous relationship as well between interfamily relationship with the same company. Right. And right. Peter Schmidt-Heine phoned him up and Klaus Schwab talks about this in a um, newspaper article. He says, oh, he asked me, listen, we're about to do a merger between Escher Weiss and Schulze and this BBV or, or whatever it's called. And uh, uh, we want you to come and we've seen as you've been to Harvard now and you know how to do things, you should come and do this merger. And so he did. He went back to uh, work for Escher Weiss, where he sat as a second in charge during this merger. And while they were helping the South African regime um, to uh, acquire, uh, illegally acquire uh, parts for their own nuclear weapons project, he worked at Escher Weiss for a few years. Then afterwards, he went back to... He was given his two mentors that he had met during his time at Kissinger's International Seminar, Herman Kahn, uh, one of the most interesting people you can ever research, uh -huh. and John Kenneth Galbraith, another one of the most interesting people you can actually research, um, are sent back, and they meet up with Klaus Schwab and Otto, Otto von Habsburg in, uh, um, uh, in uh, well, I suppose, in Switzerland. Um, but they, they announced the first Davos in 1970 is going to happen. They announced this in 1970, and six months later, it's on. And the keynote speakers, I think uh, Otto von Habsburg 
and uh, John Kenneth Galbraith and Herman Kahn sitting up on the top table too. And it, wow. it, it they they had been sent across with Klaus Schwab to encourage other people to get on board because everybody was skeptical. People also didn't want to put put their necks on the line. You know, this was this was not something that they 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 this wasn't called as well. This wasn't called the World Economic Forum at that point. That would have been the, what did they call it? A tough nut to sell, uh, we would say. That would be hard to sell to the people. Uh, it was called the European Management Symposium for the first few years oh. and then changed. To but the, did a colloquial refer to it as Davos already then? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, I think so. I think so. Because from the very first speech, oh, welcome to Davos. And yeah. Davos became central to, to the idea of what it was. And I think it, it gave them the ability to... The thing that had been learned that I learned from a case uh in the 1990s the swiss um took to charge the people who had uh, sold uh weapons technology um to or took to task sorry the people who had sold weapons technology to the south african regime the apartheid regime um and they named schulzer escher weiss so it was it was uh clear in the the 90s that klaus schwab had been involved in something really precarious the swiss come up again and again but i think by that point the swiss had been on such good terms and were basically in bed with klaus schwab because mm. it was good for them to have this ski resort become this elite place where yeah. the uh, every year in january you've got the uh, at the the peak of winter you've got good skiing and you go up and you get to hang around now for 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 most people i've never been skiing um i i, I i've probably probably you're talking had, about the norwegian here yeah yeah i probably had the opportunity <laughs> but in most of the western uh, hemisphere it's it's like done by posh people it's it's rich people uh, except it's, here here it's, it's uh, here. like uh, even working class sports so. yeah 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 so but but i mean for for us is we always see like the 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 ski resorts of davos as being these uh, yeah. places where the high and mighty hang out well that's been created it didn't used to be like that i'm sure oh. but uh, but but davos basically was a nice resort uh, set up there um i i know that in i think it was 1992 or 1993 that it was it the the world economic forum event happened in ukraine um wow. after the the fall of the soviet union mm. i don't think there's many changes i think it's nearly always been in davos but it was set up there and it was helped to fruition by the american intelligence state or both uh, herman khan and john kenneth galbraith and uh, henry kissinger were all members of the council on foreign relations which were have always been yeah about that you have already uh indicated connections to some usual suspects cfr of course and cia mm -hmm. but given the time period what about bilderberger because this is right up uh, when they were still not on people's radar but having these meetings and i also wonder about more newer names like the project for a new american century and the atlantic council but maybe that's uh, further ahead in your story but at least bilderberg is placed right in that timeline so wouldn't there be direct overlappings 
connections. Now, you, I am on a course that leads me to going through so much of this, but I haven't got there yet. Uh, but okay, okay. what I have got to is that all through the late 60s, the mid to late 60s, uh, and all through the 70s especially, it became this moment where they realized we need lots of committees, lots of organizations, lots of societies, lots of ways to infiltrate every, like every government, every business, every enterprise, civic, mm. so, civil society. You know, we've got to f- have an organization. NGOs. All of them. Th- this mm. comes up in, in my third piece on Schwab, where I talk about the, the, the rise of like this creating organizations to counter communist propaganda um but communism had already been doing this that was out of lenin's playbook you know that that Mm. that is what lenin did is propaganda really well um there was a lot of people who uh, weren't used to that in the the West and didn't think their government would be capable of doing that or would want to do that to them. So in 19... After 19- no, it was antithetical to their ideals that they still... I mean, there were many... Still is. Back then, we have actually statesmen, mm-hmm. and that's people who actually believed in democracy. Yeah, yeah. And those people um, were happy, of course, to sell out their, <laughs> their countries in no time whatsoever and and give way to something else, which is obviously uh, smells of totalitarianism. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this is, you, you can't help but to go back to that period where JFK was making some of the most amazing remarks out loud, whether he meant to keep to them, whether he actually was planning on, on enact, uh, um, enacting some of the things that he said and fighting against fascism in the truest sense that he was talking because some of his speeches are really rousing they can eat you know i'm not into even the best political speeches um what <laughs> i mean that's one of the things john kenneth galbraith did as well he drafted the first speech for the president after uh, jfk's um uh, assassination mm-hmm. for the new president i mean john kenneth galbraith was involved in every single part of uh the american elite establishment on both sides mm-hmm. yet you don't hear about him a lot of the time and i think he was a really he was a cia guy um I I think he was he was definitely CFR through through even though he said in I think he left in 1975 said the only question the CFR raises uh, when you sit through any of its uh, meetings is why you're sitting through any of its meetings <laughs> it's you know it's it's really banal and boring and they didn't uh, they, you know a lot of these guys again what I was going to say when you were talking about Bilderberg was a lot of these mm-hmm. things like steering committees and stuff. There was going to be, there's like a flood of organizations that come up around this time, and they're flooding the zone, you could say, in a PR term. They're making as many organizations as they possibly can that fit for any means, and the NGOs kind of come next. My next article will really focus in on some NGO activity uh, for sure, and and during uh, the periods between the 1960s and, and on because these sort of like supposed to be non-partisan organizations were going to spread all over europe all funded by uh uh, projects like um uh, that are completely and utterly by the state by a state but have managed to go through conduits let me remark something here just a reflection and um, that's that 
if you are a Doctor Strange or or if you are a Bond villain and you want to take over the world, this would be the manual that you not just infiltrate the bureaucracy and every state institution, because that's a threat to any powers that be, because it's democratic and... um, governed by the people, whereas China and Soviet Union would be harder to penetrate because they would be they would have their own power elite. Yes, yes. But you take over the governmental institution, then you take over the corporations, if indeed this is not who <laughs> originally launches it, but corporate that's in the that's in the game of corporations themselves, right? It is to fight mm-hmm. and, and gobble each other up and, and become monopolies. Even Karl Marx back in the day uh, predicted that, that mm-hmm. the nature of corporatism, I hesitate to call it capitalism because then we're indicated of actual free market, but I'm talking about corporatism, which is what we're trapped in today, yeah. is to gobble up and become a monopoly. So that you take over, and then it's just natural that you have to take over NGOs because even if they do not have the intention of power, they are still a power player in that they can wake people up, they can be a check and balance. And uh, so they are a natural thing to take over. Of course, media, all means of communication, that goes without saying. Yeah, again, NGOs, they they mainly target civil civic society okay yeah, they mainly yeah. target the place where policy is at the lowest level and they usually target students because right, students right. are the exactly the impressionable mind and make the next generation they yeah. keep doing that for 5 10 years and the next 5 10 years is under their control and they don't even have to do much about it people yeah. come to them and say oh can we have a grant um to do this project can you fund us to to do this project and uh, they've already made their connections they've already kept the people who they want to keep a, a lot of the ngos uh a specific have a specific purpose um uh, and they are then funded by a collection of funds trusts organizations that are much more interested in the ngo themselves the ngo themselves is just the the piece of the puzzle the that fits the out the, the edge of the puzzle the, the bit where it actually has an effect on the ground but this effect is coming from somewhere it's emanating from somewhere my next article will talk about this how a state funded uh, a project in harvard that would then uh, be able to create a low of NGOs um, to to uh, fight the Soviets, uh, Soviet ideals, but then take over like complete major parts of policy making, politics, and civil society. Because mm. this is what they've done. What 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 my third article on Schwab looked at was this sort of um, how the Young Global Leaders Project started really was really from Kissinger's International Seminar. That's what it seemed. I've gone back further and studied other programs that run to see if there was an original, but uh, it seems that William Yandel Elliott knew what needed to be done. They'd all sat around and he said, okay, how do we change society? How do we, how do we control everything from the lowest level all the way up? And everybody's ended up coming up with the same answer over and over again, which is policy. 
policy, policy, laws, policy, policy, mm. policy, law. That's how you change it all because you make people act in a certain way or they lose their job and they need to keep their job. All around them is crisis. They can't handle looking at the crisis. They got to just keep their little bit of stability and then they keep doing whatever they're being told to do, which right. is producing uh, it, a manifesting behavior that's given to them by policy. Now, if you go work in a hotel uh, and you work in an opening hotel and it's not a big chain. I, I've worked for a big chain, and the big chain made us write up all the standard operating procedures, every single policy throughout the hotel, and we put chains on ourselves. We we wrote down anything. He said, what do you do if this happens? And someone says, oh, we, we, we should do the worst thing. And you go, okay, let's put that down on the board, and what else could you do? We could do this thing. Okay, and we could do a lesser bad thing. Okay, and a lesser bad thing. Okay, you've got all of these options of things you can do mm -hmm. and now we're going to write those into our policy and that dictates that you're allowed to do any of those things but anything we leave out of that policy mm -hmm. means that you uh you you're not allowed to do that and you write people into board and we wrote ourselves into really uh strict rules that we then enacted upon ourselves when the hotel opened Mm. And it was really, I, I'd been through uh, writing up standard operating procedures on a few times. And what you realize is that if you're writing the policy, and it's what I've learned from uh, studying Schwab and the World Economic Forum, what they do, if you if you um, are in control of the policy of how it's worded, of how it's enacted, and who is in charge of enacting it, then you've got the whole of society under control. Mm. And in 1967, 1968, at the same time that Schwab is meeting Herman Kahn and John Kenneth Galbraith for the first time, Herman Kahn is uh, producing two documents that are really important. One's called uh, The Year 2000, and it, it has an institute gamed it out, decided on all the different technologies that are in the near future. And they did really good job. I mean, you can find a second link up from the bottom in uh, the second article, uh, Dr. Klaus Schwab. Um, that one, that link will take you to a website which shows you in different color codings whether they've achieved that technology yet, whether we've, wow. we, we haven't. Can you give example of some of what they predicted? Um, well, uh, you know, a, a lot of... Uh, nearly everything about biomedical care is what they predicted like they didn't necessarily use the words you understand they mean certain yeah, things yeah. that we now have words for mm. and there's a lot a lot of there's some things that will not i mean some things are obvious what about the internet I don't think they would see that one coming. Oh no, they because that hasn't helped them. I mean, they they saw something like that coming a long time ago. Yeah, the okay. internet is down on the year two thousand. I mean, it's unbelievable. It's a comprehensive Tesla. Actually, Tesla predicted internet. It, well, the it, the internet is a really interesting thing because in uh eight, in nineteen eighty two you had Usenet 
who be created and it was a they were able to see usenet was a connect a network that connected uh certain establishments universities uh it was originally developed i think by intelligence um uh probably by mit yeah. but eventually or defense. it went yeah it went live and loads of different they could they could brainstorm over a distance send each other basic emails what's interesting about usenet is every single uh user had their name in the id uh, their real name so it meant that you were able to see all these people when you look through the usernet archives especially you could see all of these people having these really strange conversations and and when google bought usenet uh the usenet archives in 2000 i think it was under the pretense that the, oh we're going to protect them they basically uh, censored nearly everything that they mm. could and made loads of it unusable so you could no longer go look through it it was actually on usenet that tim berners lee announced the internet in 1991 he he used usenet to announce the internet he said we've come up with a, a, a www um the uh, and we're gonna we're gonna roll it out and it's gonna be big something along those lines but that's the first like what we know is the internet being announced was i think tim berners lee there but lots of people understood the ability to communicate over a long distance using computers to computer mm. so that was already decided like worked out long before um that that you'd be able to do that and it was in pieces like the year 2000 that herman Kahn. so herman Kahn used his hudson institute um and uh because he's a, a top man there director and he used all of his brain power and all of his analytical skills to produce some really amazing work and when everything got malfusion in the 1973 because one of the things i talk about in the world about the start of the world economic forum the second year they no longer had john kenneth galbraith and herman khan to draw in the crowd so it was a bit of a downer there was hardly any attendance <laughs> and it didn't go so well mm -hmm. but in 1973 they brought in the club of rome who had just written limits to growth wow. and was like the malthusian modern malthusian bible about reducing population and aurelius pecci um uh, who goes up uh as the head of the club of rome and speaks at davos as a keynote speaker in 1973 in january 1973 and calls the enemy of humanity man itself uh you know and that, that we need to reduce the population some of the stuff in that speech is just unbelievable he says all of the quiet bits out loud you know wow. it really is a, an amazing speech and really dystopian really um uh, shouldn't have say it all that out loud also talking about how they're going to use environmentalism to do all of this stuff i mean he was really interesting character really apache himself um not only was he one of the founders of the club of rome but he was the head of fiat um uh back then uh he also was uh i think a director at, at concord when it first started uh so he was talking about how they're going to use environmentalism um to make all of this stuff happen so they can reduce the population etc um and while at the same time working for some of the probably the people who are causing most of the pollution is a perfect example of yeah. what these type of characters are and they had to you know they after that, the World Economic Forum drew in 
different type of crowd maybe but the crowd that klaus schwab wanted them to draw in because klaus schwab had this uh, is very similar to herman khan in the fact he wants to see all of these technologies enacted but herman khan gave great warning about what this all meant and what these technologies could do to the world where klaus schwab just wants to get them all out one Mm. by one you know, and I think that 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 scared Herman Kahn quite a lot. Herman Kahn in the mid seventies, after hearing the Club of Rome, uh, realizing he's partly involved in this, and uh, his previous writings and stuff has caused people to to start enacting things that could lead to population control and the like he wrote a follow-up piece called the next 200 years which said we don't have to worry about anything because we we will be able to mine asteroids in the future and go to space and get other things mm. uh we we won't we won't be uh, so the agenda will be expropriated yeah we'll we'll have an abundance of resources and we'll learn how to new techniques in farming and the like and it was a really like positive sound off for for what humanity could be like if we worked together but i i think at that point herman khan had worked out that he was at the end of his days and that he had helped create something that was going to turn dystopian frankenstein yeah uh, but in the same way in in 1960s um after he's written this um he's written an ancillary document that goes alongside the uh year 2000 as well which is an ancillary document about the educational needs of leadership group to be educated outside of normal society and how the university should change to uh lesser quality for the majority of people um how to control black people uh the black population in america and one interview you could see on youtube if you put in a herman khan there's one way he's talking with um uh, anthony j weiner who's uh a guy who works with him at the hudson institute and they they talk about some are we talking this um, same weiner as the sex scandal weiner no, 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 no. This is but this is in the sixties, oh. he, oh, okay. and he's they're t- they're talking openly about putting something in the water to supply to suppress people's emotions. I mean, publicly, they're talking openly. They're talking about how to control the black population. In this clip, you can go watch it on YouTube. You know, it's there. It's in plain sight. Um, and some uh, ways to trick humanity and manipulate people and this is these are the mentors of klaus schwab this is what klaus schwab is and he's continued to be i think herman khan tried to give himself kind of a good name at the end of his life because mm. he died probably about five six seven years after he wrote the 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 more optimistic view on the world and started to say some more optimistic stuff i think he was he knew he was at the end and he wanted to get a good name for himself because it was going to be dark it was going to be dark he was involved in some. you don't think he had a genuine change of heart it was just about reputation <laughs> I, I I'd love to I'd love to I at times I during like uh, from the period of learning all about him and now I've changed my mind on that over and over again okay. and I, I I do feel that that there was a I a, there's a part of him that before is he's surrounded by elites he's got a lot of hu- hubris and then afterwards he realizes what that these people are going to enact things and he realizes that he's not the big clever man 
does that get, relieve him, make him innocent of no, no, conspiring no, no, no. To, to manipulate and, in essence, murder people? But it's still possible to have a change of when confronted with m- their own mortality. Yeah. The biggest egos may crumble. So it's possible to have a change of heart, but it doesn't mean they're exonerated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But I have several questions for you. I hope I can get them in here. One of them is when you talk about these articles, you're at your third article now, right? In this series. Yeah, yeah. There's third. So there's, there's how many uh, do you envision? <sighs> Uh, the, the the next the one I'm I'm currently writing that will probably be out in a few weeks. Yeah. That's really the fourth in this series, and I can see another uh, maybe three very clearly. Right. But at the same time, there are really just so many things happening in the world. Some things that no one has any clue about. Yeah. Uh, some things that, that once you concentrate, if you've got, uh, I, I've learned a lot of uh, ways to find information. And and so when I'm uh, now I'm at this stage, I see something that doesn't fit, doesn't feel right. And I study it intensely and all of the information is there. You know, it just it it it's not long before everything is there. It's just making sure I can write that down in a way that people can understand. And the whole size and scale and scope of checking all of that information mm. is the only thing that limits me for time with yeah. projects like this. Um, like I say, the second article it took me um a year to understand where to look. Mm. I I just spent a lot of thinking and looking and researching, but until I knew really where to look to find the key bit of evidence it's no point of in writing an article unless you've got a key bit of evidence yeah. you're unveiling yeah. for people yeah. seems to be my because you've got to have something you've got to have something that you give to people that they've not had before so the first article gave people klaus schwab's father what he worked as what he did for a living um and all of the connections around that that's really important the second article that, that, that's a nazi bit right yeah 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 mm. uh, but i and the, the atomic bomb. I mean, there's just in, incredible. And then Klaus Schwab goes on in the second article. He's uh, at Harvard. He's attending a, a CIA-funded uh, course that had been forgotten. It'd been wiped out of mm. history, and no one had linked him to that course. And everything it was it was there swimming around, ready for someone to find. And we're supposed to have uh, loads of journalists all around the pace um doing this job and then from that from understanding that i understand i was able to tell the story of how the rise of clive schwab but i still hadn't told the story of that specific course um and how it is obviously um a, a, a carbon copy uh eventually would create in a carbon copy, the 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 young global leaders, the the forum for young global leaders, and and uh, the global leaders for tomorrow, which was the initial um, name for the the project. You know that is a real that's a kicker in those articles. Understanding the CIA's involvement, mm. understanding that Klaus Schwab is really um, being put into position in Europe to control European opinion and to control world opinion. Once. Once uh, the 70s had passed and we got into the 80s and everybody was spending money, Klaus Schwab was in one of the most elite positions to make a load of money and to really uh, 
network with a lot of people who are going to only going to get more powerful because that's how capitalism works all of the wealth goes upwards so all of these people mm. who were really wealthy then are super wealthy now and they've all got a lot of power and control and they all feel like they've got a bit of influence as well because they've got friends in these political uh, uh, positions from attending things like the world economic forums events and when um it led to, of course, when we got to the time of the late 80s and early 90s and the end of Soviet uh, Russia, Klaus Schwab's there on the front lines mm. as well. You know, that's when the the global leaders for tomorrow, the young global leaders, it created. Is that the focus of your third article? Um, no, that's the focus of my third article, Is it, which is um, the Kissinger continuum. Yeah. It shows really how Kissinger's uh, first um, uh, attempt at creating this Young Global Leaders uh, program created people like Pierre Trudeau, yeah. Justin Trudeau's father. Um, well, he, I'd say Fidel Castro is his father. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> um, Giscard of uh, a president of France. A Japanese uh, prime minister, a uh, Israeli uh, president—you know—all all mixed in with the the international seminar who have gone through that program. Now we see the young global leaders is just—is I mean that was set up in two thousand and four. How many would you say are now WEF uh, global leaders today? Well. Let, let me just say quickly, the, the what, reason why the third article is called the Kissinger Continuum mm. is that in 2004, when that it was this when that project was rebranded as the young global leaders from global leaders for tomorrow and the young global leaders program was properly created at that moment that was funded by the dan david foundation who gave schwab himself one million per pound uh foundation prize to say invest this in whatever you want and he decided to invest it in creating the young global leaders project and who was on the board of the dan david foundation at that time but henry kissinger himself mm. so the funding schwab gets to create the young global leaders is from the master um and it's a, a, a quite fantastic that they they um they do that nowadays in politics so many i mean i've seen the list of about five thousand i think or three thousand uh, young global leaders i can't quite remember how many i think it's about three thousand young global leaders it, it when it first started it was about 200 250 people mm. uh in the 90s when the first run was mm. when it was called something slightly different um it was about 250 per season and the first one was amazing had uh tony blair gordon brown um uh angela merkel was in there uh bill gates uh larry summers i think is hanging around in there edgar bronfman's also hanging around in there you know it was lots of there, there's lots of really uh famous people mm. in the first one victor orban uh all of these people within not like four to uh, six years were starting to go into significant positions of power mm. so the, the you know it, at that point people didn't notice that this was happening now it's almost every leader yeah. so you've got to start to consider that maybe and if, it, if it's not the leader itself then it's uh, certainly the network around him or her. yeah and uh, you've got to start to consider that maybe if you do not have that as a qualification, mm. 
now you will be much less likely to get into power and everybody knows it so people don't support it yeah 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 and we see how they do it they they do it with smearing and rigging yes. we saw that against uh, your Cor- Jeremy Corbyn we saw it against Bernie Sanders well, we can saw I, it against Donald Trump one thing yeah. i just want to say there is Richard Edelman who runs Edelman PR is Klaus Schwab's right hand man they do the Edelman trust barometer at Davos every year mm-hmm. and that uh, monitors uh, the four points i think is industry government uh, etc uh they it monitors these four four areas where they basically say what are people talking about what do they trust what do they distrust who's the most trusted and they use that to be able to know how to focus their attention and Edelman PR has control of around 60% plus of all PR around the world yes So we're we're entering into a totalitarian state Mm. in the blind because the people who are keeping blindfolds on us, uh, nice cotton, like fitting if well-fitted blindfolds, uh, are these people, are these people who... Uh, this is why they need to censor and control the internet. Yeah, yeah. Because that's the last bastion of free uh, information. In event 201, it was, I think his name's Matthew Barrington, Harrington, Harrington, Matthew Harrington, I think his name is. Mm-hmm. Um, he's was the representative for Edelman PR on event 201. And he himself, which of course was sponsored by the World Economic Forum as well, and he himself was the one who put forward that in this situation, you've got to flood the zone. Yes, censorship and stuff is an option, but for him, it was flood the zone with information. So put as much information as you possibly can out there that makes it impossible to find any other information. Mm. So our voices become the muddy the waters. Yeah, and so you see it with Jacinda Hearn, some of the uh, um, puff piece stories uh, in the it, they get put online. If you just take the headline of the article and then you go search it again on anything like Google, you'll see uh, about, I know, a page and a half full of the same same story, exactly the same puppy story, but on loads of different platforms. So that that they yeah, and and the way they do this, and I'm going to put it in the post commentary, so as not to take too much time off of our dialogue. And that's that okay. they know that most people, I think, it's like ninety five percent of all searches, people do not go by the first search result site, so they never go to page two, three, four, etc. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. that's why you always find uh, official stuff. In the old days, people can remember, they you could find all, all sorts of stuff uh, before the new algorithm yeah. in even the first page. And there was a sport of seeing how many pages you can go down. You could go down hundreds and sometimes thousands of pages. People don't know that this that I, I today... Used- yeah, yeah. I used to go to the end of of it first, then to the middle, and then yeah. and then start to see where the thing was most closest, and then go from there. You know, right. work my way up. Yeah, but have you noticed now that there's not more than uh, I think it's like fifteen pages, and in many of those pages, it's the same result or, or, or again and again. Yep. 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 Uh, it's, so they it's... they're cleaning up the internet. 
Yeah, they're cleaning up, but there's ways of finding that information if you have the know-how. There's simple ways like archive.org and the like. Um, but there's also other Brave. other really like um there's important people who are saving stuff down because they know how important it's going to be for the future. Yeah. So I think there's externally saved um access to information that is gonna scupper what we say scapa is gonna is gonna make it very hard for them to um introduce an, uh, a new internet later on where there's free of anything that they don't want on there is it people will find another way but do they really need it i think they only need to control the narrative they don't they, they kind of have always allowed in dark corners people like you and me speaking as long as we're not getting too much influence and and uh, yeah uh, reverberation that's why they panicked with brexit and uh, trump and um, uh, corbyn and stuff because the, here we have the outliers actually having potential influence yeah not yeah. that i think they would you know they wouldn't be revolutionaries any of them they would toe the line but they can't have any more independent people. They prove because it's a risk. They've proven it. They've proven they toe the line. I think there are a lot of these people have proven they toe the line. Even Corbyn. Yeah, I mean, but it doesn't I, help. No. They're, they're not forgiven, even if they do. They try to play ball, but they're still. Yeah. But let me tell you. Uh, tell me this in your next planned article, because I think uh, this story is. We've just been scratching the surface, and we're still in the early beginning. I think you should come back to continue uh, this story when you have a couple of more articles out because there's a lot of stuff um, still to be discussed. Uh, how far up the timeline are you comfortable with speaking about now? Well, it's hard. Uh, yeah, the latest stuff. Now, what I've started to do is I've started to um, look at uh, some things like I've done a series called uh, Burst in the Davos Bubble, where I go through 10 training slides that they give at Davos. Um, and and I spend a fair few hours going through this sort of stuff. So I was, I'm, I'm, I'm also looking at doing a series that's going to be about each of the young global leaders, as many of them as we can fit in, because you investigate just a few of them and you get obvious links all over the place. You're seeing this is being run by intelligence and corporations yeah. and a mixture between people who have got jobs in both yeah. so they're constantly flipping between the two and they're very easy case to make uh, cases to make and me and my partner want to do some sort of like more video stuff soon so mm. we we really want to look at sort of a lot of the focus on what the world economic forum is doing in the now and recently and at the same time i'm going to continue to work my way forward and i f i get a feeling what 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 i i feel is that i've got this this next article is really important to tell to but is not completely the same as the last, but is very much the same. <laughs> it's too hard to explain. I can't say much about it at the moment. No, I'm so sure, sorry. Sure, sure. Uh, the, the the one afterwards is likely to go into the tilt towards China um, and the want to get globalism on the road. Um, th that was really important. But then I really do want to look at some of Klaus Schwab's other 
projects mm. he's had an interesting life it didn't stop at the creation of the world economic forum he did some other very interesting things and i'm I, i'm still surprised i've been ahead of the game on so much of this because when i first started doing like writing i found it really hard to be find anything that was of the now let alone be well ahead of the people in the past who have failed to tell this story. Mm. This story is there. And so so some other people along the way, I hope, will beat me to some of these punches, you know, will mm. beat me to the, the finish line and write some of this article um, for me instead, because there's been a dereliction of duty, as they would say in the army. <laughs> I, I um, think Whitney would be one potential one if she wasn't immersed in other stuff. <laughs> yeah, well, I she, she I, I mean, this is we've got only a certain amount of enemies yeah. are coming at the final point of this battle. We've lost the political and policy battle yeah. by a long way. That mm. time of changing that is gone. Mm. People are like, oh, look at all these young global leaders. Oh, they're already in charge in my in in my home country in Britain. Um, there hasn't been a, the last two have not been elected, so you you we're already in a place where it's going to speed up this next process. Yeah, this Indian guy who just took over. Yeah. Not only is he an oligarch, but he's straight out of WEF. Too. Yeah, yeah. I I mean they all are now. And the other one who was in charge, Le Trust, was young global leader, and Boris Johnson Boris? was even down on the oh, side okay. as young global leader. And David Cameron, young global leader. And what about mm. uh, Ed Bulls and Ed Miliband, who were their opposition while David Cameron and mm. young global leaders? Yeah. All of them, uh, you know, the only ones who haven't been young global leaders, even William Hague was the young global leader. Wow. Um, in British politics, the only ones who haven't have really been um, uh, in, in the front line politics has been Theresa May and Jeremy Corbyn. And Theresa May would do anything for anybody. And, uh, and <laughs> if, the, if enough money is applied, and, and Jeremy. Corbyn, well. What about this? What about this conservative who just exited British politics? I was kind of rooting for him. Like I, I'm rooting for the best people in each party. Of course, it's not that well, I'm. Well, I'm not sure. Uh, you'll have to give him a name because I know all of them. The, I'm trying to get, get uh, the guy who 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 is straight out of the 18th century. Um, are, you, are you talking about Jacob Rees? Jacob oh, Reese. Jacob Rees Mug. Yeah. Oh my God, he's a suspicious sort. I tell you, is he not? Um, yeah. yeah, yeah. There's a lot. There's a lot of. Um, if you go, if you you, you go into uh, the investigating, I think it's called Downside School. Oh my God, there's some terrible stories. No, I'm sure. I'm sure he's no angel, but was he WF two? Oh no, 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 no. Red Jacob Rees-Mogg is just down with the establishment all day long, and the establishment right. goes to where the power is because mm. the establishment has no power. It just sits there on its heritage, mm. and and it needs the power. It's nowhere to go to 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 be with the power. So Jacob Rees-Mogg. What about Nigel Farage? He certainly must be his own man. Yeah, he. He is to an extent. He was there with the Drexel Burnham Lambert crowd. He's like the rights version of uh, George Galloway. Mm. Well, yeah, in a sense, because both of them could be undermined by their history. <laughs> yes, but bo both yeah. of them, and and by what they say a lot of the time yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I don't like to get into the. I don't like to be a lefty or righty or a centrist. No, me neither. I'm fed up of that. I'm fed up yeah. of it. It's yeah. what they do to keep us in the box. Yep. And anachronistic. I, I, 
Uh, and but Nigel Farage has had some dirty friends in the past. I mean, he was hanging around with the Drexel, Burnham, Lambert bankers crowd. Um, they were yeah. some seriously significant players. He he did come out of that those circles. That's true. Yeah, uh, and he, I I don't know. I I kind of like think that in a sense Brexit and things like that is the best thing because we've got to be split down um away from what this globalist agenda is of- everything everything leading towards decentralization and autonomy is our best bet right now yeah look yeah, yeah. Uh, b- before we close shop uh, I, I think you know so many people one thing is the history and the ideas and the structures that we've been focusing a lot on because that's what matters but to many people um, they make up also their mind when uh, it comes to personal traits, when it comes to the values you hold, your character. That's all politics is about these days. Yeah. And I I saw Russell Brand had some great expose of um, Uncle Claus's personal traits. There was reports from how he has organized. He, he's a tyrant, according to his workers apparently. Mm-hmm. Do you have any like juicy stories that can re- re- substantiate, mm-hmm. you know, to make us understand the man too? Uh, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if I have those stories because for okay. me, he's like, um, he's a chameleon. He's a, he tries to be uh, an everyman, but he is a tyrant. So yeah. the, all even, of those... even down to how he organizes the workplace in VEF. People are I could, uh, yeah, I could be, I could completely believe that because he's he's kind of systematic in a way that's approaching um... an anal, <laughs> very anal. Yeah, but you have to be to produce that type of workload. Mm. He's an arsehole for sure. Mm. I, there's there's no doubt about it that he, he's not a very nice person. But he, all we see is that disguised, kindly uncle face. Mm. Uh, all of the pictures that come out, because these guys keep themselves to themselves. You'll only see them when they want you to see them, so you never know who they are. Yeah. And trying to work that out, trying to work out why, what type of person would do this, and what type of person they are, will make your main brain turn to mush. You know, yeah. you you're just constantly trying to work out why would they possibly- no but i think i think certain certain personal experience reports kind of tells it all uh, i forgot yeah. the details uh, russell brown reported but my jaw dropped because it was so petty it was so obvious <laughs> it was so where is your pr management we know what these guys are like yeah, yeah, yeah. We know what yeah, these yeah. guys are like. They're, they're, you know, we we have the term "mini Hitler" in the workplace for a reason. You know, there, there are loads of people. I, I wouldn't be surprised if if Schwab was in Abstein's little black book. <laughs> oh well, I don't think he was. I, I, no. I, I'm not sure about the other book that wasn't really uh, produced by the authorities. But I don't think Schwab. He should be there. It's a really interesting. Uh, Schwab's had some really interesting moments in history. It just makes me think of September the 11th. He was in a room with um, Rabbi Schneid Schneider. I think his name is, and another guy. I can't remember who the other guy is. He's really influential guy. When the uh, planes hit into the the World Trade Center right. towers, you wrote about this. 
Yeah, yeah. So, well, it's it's just fantastically interesting. If you want a fantastically interesting story about Schwab, and I'm I'm sure my brain's got loads and loads of them in there, mm. but one of the most interesting has got to be that on September the 11th, he's sitting in New York with a front row seat on 9-11 unfolding uh, next to uh, a rabbi, and, and I can't remember who the other guy was, but it's someone really big. and It's in your article. Yeah, well, it, it's just fantastic. Like this, this his history has been one where he's had a front row seat in lots mm. of different, very interesting events, and he's been taken along for a ride. But he's obviously good at that. Mm. These people are good at loads of different things, but being in the right place at the right time to watch history unfold and to know what history looks like, this is what puts these people in charge yeah hey uh, man before we part i have two questions uh, that really belongs to our next talk about uh, this when you caught more up in your articles uh, with today but I, I, I will venture i go with them anyway okay one is if you have any insight or speculation both this is okay about who is behind Schwab, you know, the old uh, from the prisoner I referenced earlier, who is number one. That's yeah. not, that's my first question. The other question I wonder about is more geopolitical. Like if most of the Western power circles have been co-opted by these uh, networks, which factions are left among the global elites? Who can we see to? I, I for one, think Putin now is genuinely ostracized from them and i also think the it is backfiring with the, i know they wanted to grab you know to integrate with china but i think uh, i don't know of course but i, I think mbs in saudi arabia is genuinely trying mm. to change uh, and i despise saudi arabia so there's nothing to do with me having sympathy for them but it's he seems to want to switch allegiance mm. and i think maybe china has woken up and smelled the coffee too i don't know this is my reflections what do you say to these two questions who is behind him and who would be the bulwark against them yeah, it, it, now, now that's that's really. It's a. I mean, I especially mentioning Saudi Arabia there. That's that's a, a really important um, is a really important thing happening in history. There's a realignment. Yeah, it seems with bricks happening in history, and to know who's behind Schwab is is sort of an ideology and um, uh, and a global identity. So. If you make yourself a globalist, if you're a globalist technocrat who's happy to merge yourself with a cloud eventually in, in on a Chinese server, you've got to have uh, a belief that you can make the world into exactly the place you want it to be. So you'll be willing to work with whoever can do that. And he's become a useful tool, not a fool by no no lens, a useful tool a willing to tool. many people. Yeah, yeah, very much so. He's 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 on the front line of it. He wants it. He wants it desperately. Um, for a lot of people who want the same thing, and when you look at you, you look at the people who ran in the circles of the CFR back in the um sixties, uh, I, I look, saw a picture the other day of um of one trust uh, meeting at Harvard uh, with a world leader. And a selection of uh, border trustees with a couple other people who had joined up to watch this leader speak. 
And they, when I did my research, I discovered that the, every single one of them was the FR. Every single one of them were Council on Foreign Relations. Mm, mm, and mm. It, what you realize is that places like Harvard, people who went through there were going through uh, the mill of high-class intellectual intelligence agents who were able to, what we say, separate the weak from the chaff, mm. to separate the weak from the strong, um, to be able to work out what's the good, what's the, the person you want to invest your time in. And there was a load of people throughout Kissinger's career that saw that in him mm. and were able to recognize that. And there's loads of people who saw Schwab as the same. Schwab's never become useless. He's the guy who will bring you together. But he has no necessary, he doesn't necessarily have a boss per se. He is on a mission that's an ideological mission. So it's bigger than just any one person. It's a massive collection of people. So so it's more about let it happen than make it happen. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, Well, to an extent with Schwab, by the time you get to Schwab, he's at the height of uh the 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 trying to make it happen <laughs> you, you can't yeah, he's you, he's obviously trying to make it happen but i'm talking about his backers financial or otherwise y- Intel. yeah yeah they well they want it to happen so desperately mm. so the, he is one of many different organizations set up to function to take really to take um uh political uh autonomy away from uh, all nation states to destroy democracy that so people don't have a say so that these people can get their job done they want mm. their job done and their job is usually the same thing it's wanting to live forever and when you see klaus schwab talking about transhumanism and living a long time and rule forever notwithstanding yeah it's it's quite crazy when you see his mm. face he perks up like a little child mm. he's really intrigued and interested and I know Klaus Schwab now quite well. I've seen every single thing I could possibly see uh, that I could possibly find on him. Mm. Um, and I, I find I find him an extremely interesting character. He gave me a lot of the clues to his own uh, truth along the way. He told me when he was lying and when he was telling the truth. Because after mm. a while, you can you know yeah. you know from his actions the tells are obvious. But yeah. when you're talking about a wider structure listen the, the people who are schwab-esque um the schwabites who are like him who are after the same agenda new schwab yeah yeah who are after <laughs> creating this uh, more intelligent healthier live forever elite mm-hmm. uh that rule the world and the useless eaters that are now uh just a, a small few insect that, eaters that yeah, insect eater, use, useless insect eaters. Um, the, these people up, up there, they're all trying to drive towards something. And MBS, he seems like a tool towards that. I mean, he's got massive links to Epstein. Epstein was basically used MBS as a project. Um, and, and there's some really interesting uh, things about that. I mean, Whitney's done a lot of work on that. And I, she's talked to me a lot in great length about the MBS connections to different things mm. and he's really interesting you know it's a really interesting and how how the House of Saud chooses a leader is really interesting mm. as well all of that information uh, when you put it all together and you see what he's done he's one scary dude yeah. but without too much power in the now the people who are trying to create something are trying to create this 
the 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 dream of people like Henry Kissinger's of Klaus Schwab, the globalist technocracy, that dream. But do you think BRICS is a genuine bulwark against this? No, and not in that form. No, not not at all. But China is was was already they already knew a long time ago, back in the seventies and eighties, that China was going to be well ahead of everybody else because it'll all come down to who can produce enough as much as possible right at the last days of the race to technocratically and China are already there. You see authoritarianism being becoming more and more present in China. It's more and more easy for them to mark out, oh look how authoritarian China is now. Yeah, that's our future too. Just they have to, as soon as people are disagreeing in mass, they have to start cracking down straight away and making people very afraid, stopping them from communicating with each other. China's created that infrastructure. The rest of the world, all of the other powers are completely jealous of what China has created. And it was already known to all of these guys that that was what's going to happen. This is what's so interesting about China's introduction to the World Economic Forum uh, with open arms at a certain point where it was like, okay, and and you see Nixon's uh, opening up to China. That was all partially to do with Kissinger and his understanding that China were going to be the leaders in the future. And the only way to... uh, to have a a big enough portion of the pie is to be friends and close with China when that time comes, because they're going to be so much more powerful. What about Putin? Uh, you know, and I've tried to, I, I, I've looked through a lot of this and I did want to do a, a, a piece. Uh, apparently foremost Russian patriot program was run by the World Economic Forum, uh, in around 1992, 1993. At the same time, Global Leaders for Tomorrow Project was running with Bill Gates and all the like. They, they, and apparently three, uh, guys went through, um, the course and one of them was Putin. Now, Putin could be a globalist shell being the enemy, allowed to live out his days in complete luxury, no risk of being overthrown, no risk of any real effort against him, just sitting out there looking like the pariah. It's the perfect position they want him in at the moment. Whether that lasts... Yeah, but he's genuinely genuinely, uh, sabotaging some of their stuff. For example, the GMO agenda... And, um... Yeah, some of it he's trying to get there beforehand. So it, they showed that with the the vaccine race as well. They got right on board with that really quickly and made their own vaccines and started looking like they're in the front of vaccine race. Um, but there's other other things where, like the Spurbank, uh, who were in running um, the World Economic Forums, uh, one of their programs, um, the Cyber Polygon programs that were running were in association with Russia and with Spurbank and the head of Spurbank is basically Putin's right-hand economic guy who's looking to create an app that will be a one app does everything like you have in China. So so this new this new monetary they they're trying to tank the petrodollar and they're going to introduce their own um, and we've seen what happens to leaders who flirt with creating an alternative to the dollar. Mm-hmm. Saddam Hussein, Gaddafi, 
the guy in Venezuela. Those times are over. Those times are over. The central bank digital currencies are on their way in. There's no way to stop it. They they need... yeah, but the brick the bricks are talking about their own currency now. Yeah, but it'll be eventually. It's leading to either, all of this will lead to them having their own central bank digital currency. Okay, so, so it'll it just will... be a competing version. Yes. You you don't you in the very near in over the next year in 2023 you're going to hear uh, the normal man and woman on the street is going to hear central bank digital currency over and over for the first time, and it's going to start to be introduced. Yeah. And yeah, this is a full circle to what we started talking about uh, this new scandal, which I think is uh, going to be an alibi to crack down on the cryptos they can't control. Yeah, yeah. Well, all of the crypto is a problem for them. I, I had a, a lovely lady called Victoria Jones on to teach me um, why Bitcoin was so special and uh, understanding its birth as well. Like, um, oh, I want this... her own. Can you connect me later? after the talk yeah yeah most mo most definitely um she's got an interesting story in herself mm. but it's really interesting to dive into the ideas of what cryptocurrency is meant for people and we are on a frontline war at the moment mm. if cryptocurrency doesn't win and you you won't have options in the future no. all of those options will be uh, cash is gone yeah, cash is gone. Crypto will be destroyed in some sort of way. They will they will find a way to destroy it. They are desperate to get rid of it if it means that they don't get their central bank digital currencies in, which will have expiry dates and on your money and, and other terrible Orwellian things that they intend to introduce with central bank digital currencies. Each of these big power blocks are going to produce their own. And at one point, all of it merges into one, yeah. and we've got globalism. But at the moment, it is the Western idea, our idea of globalism, the Davos idea of globalism. Is that the globalism that suits China? Is that globalism that suits Russia? We'll see. They seem to be on board with it, and they're pretending constantly. They're pretending they're not on board with it, that they don't agree with it. But they are, they're walking the line as well. They've walked the path. It's been decades and decades and decades. All of them are ready and they're all on the same path. Whichever road you take leads to central, one central bank digital currency to rule them all. Yeah. No wonder that they had to crush both Nazi Germany and Soviet Union because both of those were, if they had existed today, there would be big obstacles to, to this uh, thing. Yeah. Although I think the Nazis would, no, both the Nazis and the Soviets wanted their own version of globalism. <laughs> yeah. Isn't that true? In, but that's... All these leaders share one thing in common. They are all Bond villains. They all want world domination. Unite unite all of the nations under the sky, you know? It's, it's, it goes back thousands of years. The, the two big things they want is to rule everywhere and to be immortal. The, yeah. This is just... This is, and they are, that is a Bond villain esque uh, way. And they, they portray themselves as that because, well, not only does it troll us, but it attracts people like them who want that same yeah. sort of life and that same feeling of power. So true. So true. 
Johnny, it's been such a great ride chatting with you today, and we could go on uh, longer. Usually, uh, some of uh, the longest programs we've made have been like five, six hours. Um, Ooh, and you, don't yeah, let, don't let my girlfriend hear you say that. She's waiting to make lunch, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> I know. But she, you, you, both of you are, are, are cut out of that cloth. You could uh, totally do it if it was rigged for that. But me, myself, I too have uh, some uh, food coming up. Before I, I part, here's the coincidence I mentioned to you in the mail. I had invited Whitney on, and she agreed to come on, and then uh, she just vanished. I know she's busy. Oh, well. uh, I, I didn't take it personal. But then someone suggested you, and I, I looked into you. It was a listener, actually. I looked into you and said, oh, my God, this is gold. This is this will make up for my loss of getting Whitney on. <laughs> right? And then you tell me you're married to her. <laughs> It's a full circle. Yeah, well, we're, we're not married yet. We're not married yet. Well, whatever. It's the same thing. We're living in sin. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, would you also try to lobby Whitney to come on? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Well, she's, she's like the female version of you. <laughs> and we we do we we did we did obviously uh we are very much alike we we did notice that straight away <laughs> i mean we, we we're just terrible we're, we're terribly alike um and we do a lot of it's it's, it's really i will it's a I will, blessing to the I will world ask though. To, and i'd love to you know there's so many things i could discuss with her but i've always wanted to take on the iran contrast thing and first time i discovered her oh yeah you she, wait you wait we we i i mean it, it's so, sorry to cut you off there but no. my one of my next articles after the next article really will blow some people's minds and is connected to that as well anyway go on sorry nice and i bet you both of you discuss these things your research all the time so you kind of educate each other too right yeah yeah but we, we're both i mean we 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 both have the place where we feel comfortable and it just right. seems to kind of run alongside each other and really overlaps, but it's overlapping a little bit here and there. We, we, but it's very similar what we, we, we enjoy doing. We just like to find things no one else is talking about. So we tend to not choose the same thing to talk about as well. Is yeah, that... but then after a while, everybody's talking about it. Yeah. Like Epstein, she was in the vanguard of that. Yeah, yeah. Well, her work on Epstein, she's just produced two massive books that just, I, I mean, people yeah. think, oh, it's... They, they, maybe, I should, could... maybe I should have her own about that, because, you know, we have more book readers than average shows. We have a very mature audience, too. So we could plug those books. Okay, cool, cool, cool. Because I, I don't think the Scandinavians are, are so much aware of her work yet, somehow. Yeah, this. I mean, this is... She... She's got such a back catalogue now as well. There's a lot to, to catch up on. Did she start before you? Um, I think we probably started around the same time, but she was like straight in professional from the off. She yeah. she managed to get a, a job writing for yeah, yeah. and yeah. and she just she just wrote all the time. So she's she's a machine when she gets going. <laughs> but you know, Indeed. two kids later and stuff, we right. we got to choose our targets wisely nowadays. Of course, of course. <laughs> well, you've been very wise so far. But speaking of books, before I let you go, we have to plug your stuff. First off, have you written any books? Um, no, I'm I'm on my way to. I'm I I can feel uh, two books brewing right now um, that are really important. I mean, just collecting your articles becomes a book. 
yeah yeah i think that there's definitely a schwab book um that's possible nice. and 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 the one that i'm i'm kind of writing a series at the moment that i'm looking to serialize uh into some sort of book or some sort of bigger project because it's so interesting mm. and uh, people i think people it's information that uh, some of it is information people will never know but it it helps us understand where we are now by seeing yeah. the repeating themes and that's why i like going back in history a lot of times so my my work is on uh johnnyvedmore.com um and a uh, fungi monkey so like mushroom monkey so fungi monkey.com uh, that's where my media stuff is hang on the, the first one johnny vedmore that's your articles right he, that's my articles i have links to other stuff oh, oh you at substack too uh no i haven't i haven't managed to i i mean i spent so much time researching right. i've been meaning to but i don't i don't have all the time so i think i did actually like register to it recently but with the intention of putting stuff on there but it's just too hard i, I got i, right. I the the articles we're doing is really a really like full time work and it's uh it's it's really crazy stuff some some of the things that'll launch you down i'm usually writing about four or five articles at the same time i'm researching <laughs> you know it's but Wonderful. it's some really interesting stuff really interesting so absolutely i i can just say i haven't even had time to educate myself fully on you yet i saw the uh, curriculum and oh my god this is going to be reading material for a long time yeah, good. but i i did go through two of your three um Klaus Schwab articles and it's a gold standard folks it's a gold standard you just have to go check it out but you're such a you know many journalists aren't as uh, what you say in English, eloquently uh, <laughs> vocal uh, um, oral you should yeah, totally yeah, yeah. make your own podcast man yeah i do i i have i actually have my own podcast but i do it under fungi monkey oh, now you mentioned another website that's your podcast right Somehow you have time for a podcast too. I well, or, uh, as much time. I do a f fair few videos. I like. To, I do uh, a little thing called Newshound, where I look through articles Give in your, the past. Your links. Speak, Is that on YouTube? Uh, we, we yeah, yeah, yeah. You'll find it on YouTube. Fungi Monkey. So it, Fungi it, if you put, uh, it'll be also be on Johnny Vedmore the 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 channel as Linked well. There. Yeah. Um, mm. Yeah. Yeah. I, you'll, I've got about seven podcasts up so far. I'm I'm slowly going through it, and I got some other things up. I also do police auditing uh, here and there. So I go in and put wow. a, a, a video in a policeman's face, and and and, and make... of America or all over the world. Or... Uh, I've done well mainly in Wales, in Britain. <laughs> uh, I was planning on doing it, but then then I did uh, my first Chilean audit uh, a couple oh of weeks God. ago. I got attacked by some tramps, and uh, it was all yeah. Very... Careful now, you don't want to. You don't want. Hey, it was exciting. You, you, you don't want to do a Glen Greenwald because <laughs> there, it, there's not many safe havens in the world, and if you start provoking the Chileans, you're in deep trouble, man. You have oh, to... yeah, I know, I know. Right? There are big, big, wide people over here. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to provoke them at all. <laughs> and, and, and you see what happens to Greenwald. He's exposing people left and right, even in Brazil. That's not very safe. But And I'm worried for yeah. people like your safety. You're like cut of the same cloth as a snowden or a assange or a greenwald so where i am where i am currently in in uh chile is really a nice chilled place is really it's really pretty uh and the people here are really chilled out so yeah. i'm ho I ho hopefully it'll stay like that 
Hopefully, um, but, from your mouth. Yeah. But you, you remember the globalists, yeah. the, the octopus tentacles reach everywhere. So, yeah. Hey, uh, this is a test bed. Where, where I'm living is also a test bed for a lot of the technology. So we don't have physical menus here anymore. It's all QR codes wow. everywhere. And there's loads of other things happening that we weren't expecting to see already uh, that are being rolled out. So we get to see some of it. You know, you know what? If the going gets tough, you can come to Iceland. Our <laughs> brothers over there. <laughs> I tell you. No? No, no, I don't think Whitney would be down with the cold. Uh, I, <laughs> I, I don't. I, see. I, I, I think she's like the moderate, all-round, all-year <laughs> moderate temperature. <laughs> yeah. Good, and I don't know where, where to go, but um, yeah, no. it's a truly global world in many ways. So It is, it is, it is. It's nice, it's nice where we are, so we're, we're pretty yeah. happy at the moment. Yeah. Let's let's uh, let's hope next time I have you on, and I hope you will come back because it was an absolute pleasure. Uh, I, I'm expecting again to connect with Chile. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's fantastic. It's an interesting place. Again, uh, World Economic Forum, young global leaders sitting at the top tables here. Uh, we yeah. can talk about that next time. Yeah, let's do that. But meanwhile, I'll let you go, man, and enjoy your meal. Thanks for having me on. And the rest, rest of, of your day. day. Okay, will do. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. Okay. Cheers. Cheers. See you later, man. Bye. Bye. And that's our show today. Thanks again to Johnny for sharing with us bits and pieces of his deep investigations into these things and if you if you are at the lower information side of these matters you may question some of the claims he's making but look you need to update yourself if this challenges your paradigm too much because like plato said everybody is ignorant only on different matters everybody is an expert only on different matters so Maybe you haven't given sufficient time to figure out what's going on in the socio-political arena. And that's fine. That's fine. And it's your prerogative to be skeptical and uh, critical to new information that may challenge your current understanding of things. But you cannot dismiss out of hand based on emotional reactions or, or lack of information. You either... Admit that, okay, I don't have the time, the interest, the energy, whatever, to investigate this. So I orientate myself by listening to people who do. Granted, I trust them, their, their honesty, their sincerity. You, of course, not have to agree with the value judgment, with the politics, stuff like that. But that's one option. And the other is to do the dirty work yourself, is to investigate the required time and effort to, to find out. And a brilliant angle to that would be to look up his many, many reports and articles. And then you can, for yourself, because this isn't like an opinion spinster, he's not a pundit. He's an old school investigative journalist. And they obviously give their sources and... Uh, facilitate that everything they say can be verified and like good authors they also distinguish between speculation or opinions and and facts so that's that and you're going to be equally mind blown when i have his dame on whitney webb who's agreed to come on and uh, dig deeper into similar affairs not so much in particular uncle klaus and the World Economic Forum, but 
the elites never rest. There's tons to uncover about them. And we're going to go through the Epstein angle. And of course, that is just the tip of the iceberg of a much larger story. So you can look forward to that. Now, I did mention in the show that I've done some investigation into censorship and uh, uh, concerning um, browsers. And I give a full report of this in the new show, new channel created called Need to Know by Alt Media United. As I say this, it's not launched yet, but I think by the unless you're a subscriber to our website and you listen to this as soon as it comes out, uh, if you are that, then it's probably not out yet. But most of you will listen to this on one of the public platforms we're at. And so you can surely look up this show. Now, there I give a full account of the investigation. I just want to say the verdict here. I did come to the conclusion that the best, the least censored browsers would be, uh, I said browser, I meant search. Uh, I'm only speaking about search engines now, not browsers. At number one, I put Mojik, horrible name. They're never going to win many converts just because of that. But it's written M-O-J-E-E-K. Great thing there. You can uh, add all search engines to their finds. You can expand how many hits are at the first page. Uh, You can basically do everything that Google offers, you know, uh, quotation marks, etc. You can fix the view or display, I mean. And uh, yeah, all over, I'm, I'm very pleased with that one. Now that one does the old school thing because... They have been scraping the internet. It's not that the originals necessarily are deleted, although that happens too, uh, at the servers. But what does it help that all the information in the world is available out there if you don't have a way to find it, right? So it's the middleman, which I hope will uh, disappear with the P2P future of Web 3.0. But it's the middleman today called Google who is a corrupt intel agent and who is now just like i used to search as a verification i searched for forum borealis now it used to be like a million hits and in the old days i'm sure those of you old enough remember the sport we had of browsing endlessly you could find millions of hits and i think they still have the audacity to name a million of hits but you can look them up so you would go to page 1,000 just to see what's going on there, page 10,000, whatever, right? Nowadays, they give you a maximum of 15, 16 pages. And you will also, like Jimmy Corsetti over at Bright Insight has documented in several videos, they're going on repeat. So it's not even 16 pages of distinct information. So it's horrible the way they are censoring the internet. And of course, I think it's like 80 or 90% of searches never go past page one. So everything at page one is the mainstream stuff normally. Of course, it depends on how detailed your search inquiry is and how much it lines up with stuff you will find in the corporate uh, media. But basically, stuff like Wikipedia, CNN, BBC, whatever... 
It's the approved stuff. So it doesn't work anymore, and the same is true for most of these search engines. But I put Mojik on number one because they still give everything, and in addition, they don't censor. At number two, I put the Russian called Yandex. Uh, it is fairly similar to number one on my list, which was Mojek, but very many Russian hits, which is kind of annoying if you don't know the Cyrillic alphabet. Um, other than that, I don't have, have any criticism of it, so it's pretty similar. I, I would say most of those on top are very good. On, on third place, I put Ecosia, E-C-O-S-I-A. And then I put Qwant, that's Q-W-A-N-T. Then Pre-Search, Brave Search, Start Page, Metagear, Free Spoke Search, Million Short, Swiss Cows, Gibiru uh, uh, and Gibiru. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying all of those, everyone are ranked uh, chronologically here from best to worst. I'm saying all of these are better than the mainstream. Problem is some of them is, for example, some of them don't give video results uh, or picture results. Some of them, um, for example, they won't allow porn. Now, obviously, if you're looking for truth, that shouldn't matter, right? But I'm thinking like this. If they take that decision to be a moral nanny, who's to say they won't, you know, transfer that to other areas? I'm, on this area, completely libertarian and thinking you shouldn't gatekeep or censor anything. You should provide everything from free speech to uncensored eroticism because after all we all know <laughs> the number one driving force on the internet since it came is porn for better or worse human nature right uh, but some of uh, are just open about it they say look if, if you want to search for porn use someone else but it's not that we are saying some of it is good some of it is bad it's just that we are just for free speech and stuff like that fine fine so you should always have maybe several options i myself you do that in the address line, I can easily change to another search engine. So that that's fine. Uh, maybe you don't want to put all of these, but four or five should certainly be be good. Yeah. So so the two number ones, Mojek and Yandex, are simply those that are completely free and, and no interference. Ecosia, Q1 Presearch. I don't really have something on them. Uh, but they did limit, for example, the number of searches. Like, uh, the further down on the list here, the, the, I would say the five last maybe only gave like 15, 16 pages. That was the problem, but without censorship or limitation. So these are the free speech, uncensored search engines that we can find today. Maybe there's some additional I don't know about. That I didn't. Oh yeah, there was one I didn't include because simply because I couldn't add it as a search engine in my shortcuts in the address line. That's humble. H U M B L. So all of those I recommend. Look into them. Maybe you want to do your own quality control. If not, you can go by my word. A little more of the details of how I determined this you can find in that episode. Uh, and the show is called Need to Know. And if you don't know, let me update you. Alt Media United. I detest the name, but I got downvoted on that. <laughs> it's a project that I'm involved in, together with others. So it's a project I'm going to promote more in the future. This is just an early bird notification of it, but you have uh, something to look forward to there. We want to 
We want to take uh, as many freedom-loving podcasts, independent, obviously, podcasts as possible and, and create uh, some sort of bond community platform of outlets you can trust. So that's that. I'll not go on ra- rambling anymore. Instead, I'll end with this quote. It's uh, one of the origin pieces to the slogan for the Great Reset, you shall owe nothing and be happy. So it starts with a tweet from 16 of January 2017. It goes like this. Welcome to 2030. I owe nothing, have no privacy and life has never been better. Written by this maniac Danish World Economic Forum stooge called Ida Auken. And it's published on Forbes.com. It's too long to read everything, but I'll give you a sample. Welcome to the year 2030. Welcome to my city, or should I say our city. I don't own anything. I don't own a car. I don't own a house. I don't own any appliances of any sort. It might seem odd to you, but it makes perfect sense for us in this city. Everything you consider a product has now become a service. Sometimes I use my bike when I go... Oh, so she does own a bike, eh? which is weird because even here in my country, there's so many free public bikes that you don't need to own. And that's today. In our city, we don't pay any rent because someone else is using our free space whenever we do not need it. My living room is used for business meetings when I am not there. So there are businesses when everything is free. This lunatic rant makes no, it's not coherent. Once in a while, I will choose to cook for myself. Oh, gee, so she will take some responsibility for her own health. Good for her. It is easy. The necessary kitchen equipment is delivered at my door within minutes. Doesn't sound feasible. Doesn't sound practical. Since transport became free, we stopped having all those things stuffed into our home. Why keep a pasta maker and a creep cooker crammed into our cupboards? We can just order them when we need them. Right, more practical that someone is driving or shipping around the kitchen equipment who's washing in the meantime. Again, it's an incoherent rant. Shopping, I can't really remember what that is. For most of us, it has been turned into choosing things to use. Sometimes I find this fun and sometimes I just want the algorithm to do it for me. It knows my taste better than I do by now. Spoken like a completely transhumanist wreck. The algorithm probably has tubes into her skull and she's reduced to a robot with no preferences. Sounds really like something to aspire towards. When AI and robots took over so much of our work, we suddenly had time to eat well, sleep well and spend time with other people. Yeah, you, you finally became a useless mouth breeder. A parasite consumer. Why would the AI and the robots keep you around for long? <laughs> I think any AI worth its bites and bits in processing ability will very soon realize the world is better off without this unnecessary homo sapien. My biggest concern is all the people who do not live in our city, those we lost on the way. Ah, so there will be free zones. The resistance won't be crushed. This is her biggest concern? People who choose something else than herself? Those who decided that it became too much, all this technology, 
Right. This is after, and I haven't read it all. She's trying to pitch us nature again and again and again. Oh, everything is eco, everything is nature. But then, <laughs> blasts those who actually prefer it. Those who felt obsolete and useless when robots and AI took over big parts of our jobs. Those who got upset with the political system and turned against it. Right. Dissidents. People who are thinking for themselves. They live different kinds of lives outside the city. Some have formed little self-supplying communities. Others just stayed in the empty and abandoned houses in small 19th century villages. You know what? I take back my criticism. I now think this does sound like a very inspiring article. Because she just described the kind of harmony most human beings would prefer. Certainly me. Once in a while I get annoyed about the fact that I have no real privacy. Oh, once in a while, huh? She gets annoyed. I bet she's an exhibitionist by nature, but even she has a red line. Well, what can she do about it? Nowhere I can go and not be registered. I know that. Somewhere everything I do think and dream of is recorded. I just hope that nobody will use it against me. Oh, she has a hope, does she? Oh, it's reduced to a hope. Well, maybe it's better to live in a society where hopes can be implemented into action. If not, I understand why she lost her will. This this is the end of the article and it sounds like a dire warning. <laughs> but she means it like a good thing. Anyway, this blog was written ahead of the World Economic Forum annual meeting of the Global Future Councils. Ida Aukin is a young global leader and member of the Global Future Council on Cities and Urbanization of the World Economic Forum. And there you have it. Thanks for listening. Thanks for your support. Especially thanks to my subscribers who is keeping this ship floating. I've been your host Al, signing off in the words of Mahatma Gandhi. Freedom is not worth having if it does not include the freedom to make mistakes. Be seeing you. number one.